0: Welcome to the St. Edward's Podcast, a church filled with the Holy Spirit. We hope that today's words will draw you closer to Christ Jesus. Good morning. According to the Bible, mercy matters. And it matters because we all need forgiveness. But mercy also matters because it's what can join us all together in spite of Of all of our differences. Mercy begins with opening oneself to those with whom one might strongly disagree, but it doesn't end there. It begins with small acts of understanding which can result to life-changing experiences of love. Jesus is the perfect face of mercy. He healed the sick, welcomed the stranger and pardoned those who persecuted and killed him. We would be totally lost if it were not for the abundant mercy of our Heavenly Father. Romans 3 says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now grace is a gift that we do not deserve. Mercy is not getting the punishment we do deserve. In the midst of chaos, mercy speaks loudly. And we can see this all the way back to the book of Genesis when sin is birthed. Adam and Eve have been provided every good thing, every perfect thing, but they make the choice to partake in the forbidden fruit. And as a result, what they had seen as pure and lovely had now become dark and tainted. Because of the lens in which they are now seeing things, they are acutely aware of their nakedness. They are ashamed, but God in his mercy even in the midst of their disobedience and sin, close them. And not just to defend them from the heat and the cold or the other injuries of the air into which they're now exposed, but to shield them from their shameful feelings. God also, by this act of kindness, probably intended to show his care even in fallen man to encourage the hope of mercy through a mediator, Jesus, thereby inviting all people to repentance. And that's really what the book of Romans message is to us over and over. In fact, if I were to attempt to summarize the book of Romans, I would say it's the most profound subject in all of scripture, God's plan to save and redeem sinners. In today's reading, we see this right out the gate. In verse 1, Paul starts by saying, I ask then, has God rejected his people? He's referring specifically to the Israelites here. And he says, by no means. I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. Now Paul here points to himself as an example of his mercy, God's mercy. He was the worst of the worst. He was a relentless enemy of Christians, breathing out murderous threats against followers of Jesus. But then the remarkable thing happens to him. He meets the risen Christ on the road to Damascus, and his heart and life are transformed by Jesus. He became one of the most powerful witnesses for Jesus in history. The man who once plotted the death of Christians would become the greatest missionary, church planner, soul winner, and theologian in church history, and authoring half of the New Testament books. So, Paul, my friends, knows firsthand of the mercy of God which is why he is able and so convicted in his writings. And we hear that really clearly in the message today. There's a long history of rebellion of the Israelites. They're quick to forget about God's faithfulness extended to them even in their sin and disobedience. Frankly, God performed, and quite miraculously, I may add, signs of wonders in their life, miracles. They see it with their own eyes. He frees them from bondage and slavery in Egypt through Moses. He protects them from those horrible plagues that took place. He makes a way when there was no way. He parts the Red Sea and allows it to close on the Egyptian army right in time for them all to perish and drown. But instead of being grateful, they make a gold bull calf at Sinai and worship that idol. They exchanged the glory of God for an image of an animal that eats grass. They forget the God that saved them by his mighty acts in Egypt over and over. God heard their cries, and he responded. And God responds to our cries today. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The stories of worldly thinking and disobedient acts of the Israelites, they go on. Throughout the Old Testament. Check it out. Many succumb over to their selfish desires and their need to control. They're enticed by the attractions and the glitter of the world. An entire people was being drained of its traditional sense of life's meaning and purpose. But above all, they're losing their deep awareness of divine presence their fists had become clenched. At every single problem they complained instead of trusting God. When we look at our current climate, our society in which we're all living today, the political unrest, the social injustice, the coronavirus, racial issues, deep division, this is hard stuff. And it's really hard to accept. But we must remain open to the infinite possibilities of God, and especially in trying circumstances. We need to draw close to the Lord, but we cannot do it with closed fists. With our hand clenched in a fist, We cannot so much as pick up an orange or a boiled egg from a breakfast table. We cannot turn on a faucet, wash dishes, or even wash our face. In terms of everyday human operations, our fists are singularly ineffective. We use our open hands to do almost everything we do. The fist is unpractical, ineffective. It is a symbol of power and control. When a hand closes in a fist, the fingers disappear, and there's a sense of closedness, and it penetrates into our heart. Even though a sick, fractured world may appear to be under the shadow of closed fists, it is in the healing It is the open, pierced hands of Jesus Christ, the faithful one. All of human history is touched by the hands of Jesus Christ, painfully open. God's mercy is for everyone, and it's been that way since the beginning of time, and it continues today. We find in our passage today, the Gentile nations, while they're not without hope, even though they'd gone astray, they were pagans and worshiped their own idols. They didn't have the law as even a guiding factor or a compass. God demonstrated his heart for them, for the nations, by including them in his covenant with Abraham, the father of Israel. Father Mark talked about that several weeks ago in a sermon Both groups had been disobedient and sinned, yet God extends mercy to both. What these people needed and what we need today is a system whereby sins could be completely and permanently forgiven. The law did not offer this, but the gospel does. Mercy is offered to all so that all would have the chance and opportunity to repent and turn from their sin and accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. There's absolutely nothing within any of us to save ourselves. We all need a Savior. Now perhaps we might ask, okay, why is this mercy thing so important for us? Because we've accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And yes, that's true, but we need to grasp what that really means for us. Because see, the precious blood of Jesus poured out for you and me. Here's the deal. He actually sees you and me in front of him as he hangs on that cross. Imagine that. Visualize yourself there with his merciful, compassionate eyes looking right at you. That's, friends, is how personal this is. And he would do it again today for each of us. When we allow this image to melt into our heart and take root, the entire essence of who we are embraces the truth of the intimate nature of God. Not some pie in the sky up here too big for your problems, God. The same spirit that rose Christ from the dead lives in us and bears witness to our spirit of that truth that God sent his son to die for you. That's mercy in its purest form. And this truth this is what sets us free in the midst of all this madness, and this is truly the starting point where we become in absolute awe of Him. We come to the end of our self-reliance and our need for it to control, and we give up ourselves completely to Him. And the richness of sanctification deeply evolves. We are being changed into the image of Jesus. It is His power in us and he is magnified through us as we extend mercy and the love of Christ to all people as a new creation in Christ we walk in the power of the Spirit which in turn molds us where we all of a sudden have the same desires God does for peace for love, and this is birth from our deep, grateful heart and deep love for Him. We're no longer in the flesh. We're working alongside Him, co-creating with Him as part of the reconciliation process of healing and unity. In Second Peter, God's wish is this: None should perish but all come to repentance and here's the deal you and i were part of making that happen in the book of common prayer the catechism which really is what we believe it tells us every one of us here is ministers of the church it goes on to say that the ministry of the lady and the ordained is to represent christ in his church and it doesn't stop there but to bear witness to him wherever they may be and to carry on Christ's work of reconciliation in the world. What a charge. I wanna share a story with you I recently read discussing the events that we're facing today in our society and how it is affecting one's attitude towards life. One woman said, the only thing that keeps me going is the belief that we can win a few battles. She added, but I fear that we cannot win the war, as far as our world is concerned, for the problems and the tensions on every side, and they're massive as to be insoluble," Unquote. Might we relate to that statement? Fear is useless. And the war has been won by Jesus Christ. And the battle is his, not ours. We just need to give it to him and ask for our part. The scripture in 1 John gives us the remedy. Perfect love casts out all fear. You see, it all points back to love. The remedy is always love, and it always has been. But it starts with each of us. We must allow ourselves to receive, and I mean fully receive, the love of God. We don't have to earn it. Because he stoops down to us, and he loves us right where we are, even in our mess, especially in our mess. Ephesians states it powerfully, But God, who is rich in mercy out of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead, Through our sin, we are made together alive in Christ. Now, perhaps it's challenging to trust in this radical love. Maybe we've been wounded by someone who was supposed to care for us and nurture us. Maybe we were told we'd never amount to anything or we're simply not good enough. But friends, there's a remedy for this harmful lie this harmful message and it is Jesus but we've got to reach out to him from a posture of vulnerability and openness and if we struggle with that or if we struggle with our faith or our own unbelief ask him to help you the father of a sick child in the gospel of mark did he cried out lord i believe Help my unbelief. And Jesus responded. Jesus calls us to turn our lives around and be willing to take the risk as we step out and trust, and and it's often gonna be into a place of the unknown. But here's his promise, that in doing that, he will be there and our lives will be enriched beyond our wildest hopes and dreams He urges us to trust him unconditionally, even though it may be hard to give up some of the deep-rooted old ways of relating to God and to our neighbor. We must let Jesus break through our self-imposed prison. Certainly all the negativity out there today might cause us to erect such a barrier. Yet our created barriers, our walls of protection, are no match for the love of Jesus because nothing can keep him away. It's then that we start to see others through his eyes. We become an overflowing vessel of his love, extending mercy and love in ways we never even thought possible within us. We learn to trust in the midst of every single situation that comes our way. Now, I close with this. In the days of the American pioneer, a man was crossing a desert. And according to the story that has come down, he had run out of water and was dying of thirst when he suddenly spotted a water pump near an abandoned shack. He inched his way to the pump, and he mustered up enough strength to work the handle, but nothing happened. No water came. Then he noticed a jug near the pump with a note. It was attached, and here's what the note read. There is just enough water in this jug to prime the pump, but not if you drink some first. This well has never, ever gone dry even in the worst of times. So just pour the water from the jug into the pump and pump the hand quickly. After you have satisfied your thirst, refill this jug for the next thirsty person who comes along. What should the man have done? What might we have done? The contents of the note, they called for complete trust in a person who wrote it. The dying man followed the instructions. He ran the risk of pouring all the water from the jug into a pump that might fail. He was being asked to put his trust in the message unconditionally. He was being asked to respond to a message in complete faith. He was being asked to accept without reservation the absolute truth of this message. Let's pour some water into the pump. And help others to discover the love of God that is in them by showing them the love of God that is in us. Amen. Thank you for joining us in this conversation today. We will continue to pray that our teachings are impacting you for the kingdom of God. If you'd like to learn more about our community, You can find us on stedwardsepiscopal.com or on Facebook. And of course, we'd love for you to visit us in beautiful Mount Dora. May God's grace fill you as you go in peace.